Do you worry about tomorrow? Does the future feel uncertain? Is the past too painful to bear? Focus on the Family Canada is here to help, so you never have to walk alone. Every morning, our staff lift up your prayer requests. If your burdens are too much to carry on your own, you can request a free, one-time call with one of our counselors at focusonthefamily.ca today. That's focusonthefamily.ca. We're here to help. Well, imagine that that's your baby's heartbeat, and it's clear evidence of a life growing in your womb. It's a joyful sound of a shared love and a, a future eagerly anticipated for your family. But if that life is cut short unexpectedly, it can feel like your world has come to an end. Today on Focus on the Family, we'll explore the tragedy of infant loss and how that can impact your life, your marriage, your faith. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, nothing can prepare a parent for the death of a precious child like that. Um, That's simply not the way things are supposed to happen. And the grief that couples experience um, with the should-haves, the could-haves, the what-ifs, and the if-onlys, it seems insurmountable. Uh, losing a child through miscarriage, stillbirth, SIDS, or some other kind of loss is devastating. And we truly hurt for that uh, couple, that individual that has gone through that or might be going through it right now. Uh, we often don't comprehend the depth of the pain and sorrow, the depression that can happen to the bereaved parents in that experience. And Uh, we often struggle to say the right thing or say what will help them. And today we do want to cover this tender subject so we can equip you to be the best friend, the best uh, spouse you can be in that circumstance. And in fact, John, I know you and Dina experienced uh, something in this area. We had a couple of uh, miscarriages uh, early in uh, the development of our family, uh, losses at about 12, 13, 14 weeks, and those were really hard times. They were lonely. There were a lot of shared tears, and we did have a lot of folks come around and love on us. We want to help you as a listener learn how to do that in a really meaningful way as you uh, surround families who are dealing with difficulty. Well, and that's why, again, we're going to tackle this subject. It really is to help those that are grieving right now, um, to equip those who may encounter this in the future, and to help us uh, you know, do better at being that good friend that we need to be. Yeah, and we have Dr. Gary Chapman and Candy McVicker with us here in the studio today. Dr. Chapman is, of course, a frequent guest on this broadcast. He's a counselor, a speaker, and an author, best known for uh, his series of books, The Five Love Languages. And Candy McVicker is a grief and trauma specialist who speaks and writes about infant loss. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of Missing Grace Foundation, which provides support and resources and education for families and uh, professional care providers in infant loss situations. And together, Candy and Gary have written a book, Holding On to Love After You've Lost a Baby. And we have copies of that here at focusonthefamily.ca. Gary, welcome back to Focus. Always good to have you. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. And Candy, it's so good to have you for the first time. Thank you for being with us. Thank Appreciate you. it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity. And it's such a tough subject. Um, and Candy, you have firsthand experience with infant loss. You and your husband, Stephen, uh, lost a child. In fact, I believe your ministry is named after that child. Uh, explain uh, what happened and a little bit about your ministry. 
Thank you. Um, well, yeah, we were excited to have a big family. We had that number four. We wanted four children, and um, we got started right away after getting married, and we got pregnant with Grace. And it was a very difficult pregnancy, a lot of challenges, and uh, but we just felt like we just pressed through, and we'll get through this, and the, the prize is at the end. And um, at the last two weeks of her life, she didn't move very much. And we didn't know it was a girl. We didn't find out the gender at the ultrasound. And so we just knew baby's not moving a lot and something doesn't seem right. So I called the doctor. In fact, seven times I went in seven in the last times. yeah, in the right. last two weeks. So it was really concerning. There was no movement. You know, in that context, uh, in the book, it describes that they weren't very responsive, the doctors. No. And you had this mama's instinct that something may not be right. But it really... It was really difficult, right? Yeah, you know, uh, that's one of the things we teach on. We're really big on education. Moms know best, they know their babies, they know their bodies, and they need to trust that God-given intuition. And I believe if they can just really become mama bears and be advocates for their babies, that will do well. Um, you just have to keep asking till you get somebody who listens. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're kind of in a mode and this is how they are typically doing things, but maybe your baby's not typical and their situation needs special attention like ours did. Let me take you back, and I appreciate the vulnerability, you and your husband, Stephen. Stephen's in the gallery right now, and it's a pleasure to uh, meet him and to uh, get to know him, but being a couple in this, so you'll have to speak for both of you. Mm -hmm. But in that context, uh, take us back to that ultrasound that you finally were able to receive that you talked the doctors into providing. What happened during that ultrasound? Yeah, so on the seventh visit, they said, all right, fine, you can have the ultrasound. But prior to that, they would just do what's called a Doppler check. So they would stick the Doppler on, and all that does is it, it's listening for fetal tone. It's listening for that heartbeat. And it hears both the mother's heartbeat and the baby's heartbeat. And um, and on the last one, I think she realized there's not a second heartbeat. But I didn't know well enough what the different heartbeats were, and I was new to this. And so when we got to the ultrasound, I really just knew something wasn't right, but I just figured I'm going to be rushed into a C-section or something's going to happen because this baby needs attention. I had no idea that she had already passed. And so at that ultrasound, uh, they, they just, they wouldn't talk to us. They were totally silent. It was very awkward and strange. And um, she put the ultrasound on and did the Doppler. And I was asking many questions and she was not willing to answer anything. And she just got up and left the room and didn't even say anything. And and then the radiologist came back in, and for many of us who've gone through this, it's like that defining moment. It was just so horrible because the doctor just came in, and she put on her glasses, looked at the ultrasound, and she said, well, as you can see, there is no heartbeat, and it is dead. And that was it. She turned just around and left the room. that sterile. Totally hmm. sterile. And hmm. I was calling after her. I said, well, what do you mean? I don't understand what you're saying. And, and she turned around, and she said, it's dead. And she left the room. And then the sonographer stood up, turned off the machine, and she backed up and she goes, you need to leave now and you need to go to the hospital and take care of it. And I said, I, I, I'm eight and a half months pregnant. I don't understand what happened. And she goes, we don't know, but you have to deliver it now. And so um, it was very My traumatic goodness. and very icy cold. And in fact, there, there was a waiting room we had come in through and um, there were other moms waiting to get their ultrasounds. And, and as I was getting dressed, she said, um, can you please go out the back exit and not go through the front? And I said, well, we parked right at the front. And she said, well, I don't want your crying to upset our new moms. And oh I my thought, goodness. I'm a mom. <laughs> and right. so my husband said, no, we're, we're going to walk out the front. Um, and so we went in and we were induced and uh, we went through 
24 hours of very difficult labor and we didn't have very attentive care. I think a lot of times nurses, they, they get kind of callous to this it's, it, and it's hard for them. I think it's very important in hospital settings that they, they really work hard to make sure they have the most compassionate staff who are in that role working with the families who go through a demise. And um, we didn't happen to have those people with us at the time, so they were very cold to us. And, um, and as I experienced really challenging labor, they said, you know, labor's hard, and especially hard with a stillbirth. So you know what? You chose not to get the medication. Now you're suffering the consequences. Oh my. Oh my and I gosh. said, well, I just was hoping that if I, I, I think I was bargaining with God, and I was praying, if I, if I go through the pain, God, Will you give her back to me? Because I do believe in a miracle working God. And I was still praying all the way to the end. Maybe God would breathe life into her lungs and she would be with us. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't get that story, but um, we, we delivered a perfectly healthy, beautiful baby girl. And she died of an umbilical cord issue, which is very common with stillbirth. And um, and we, we, we just had a very short time with her. We, we didn't know what to do. We were very scared. It was all very foreign and strange to us. And uh, we had about four hours, and, um, and then we gave her up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it does speak to the indifference mm-hmm. that some have about mm-hmm. a child now. Yeah. And I think abortion has played a huge role mm-hmm. in dampening the sense of life for that baby. And uh, I'm sure. sorry, but that's where I would lay mm-hmm. the blame. Mm-hmm. that some just don't embrace the idea that babies are precious and God-given exactly. and they are made in his image and deserve every bit of humanity that a person outside the womb would get. Right. But that's we're reaping the, the consequences of that. I believe that's that. exactly right. Let me move, if I can. And again, I so appreciate um, your tenderness in that and your willingness to share it. And I know some people are listening that may have just gone through it or about to go through it or went through it years ago and they're feeling it right now. Mm -hmm. But that grief afterward, that night, you and Stephen are at home and you have to talk about this, I'm sure. How did you cope with the grief just in the few days after um, this? Well, you're you're really in shock. All of us who go through a a traumatic loss, you you have shock that kind of carries you through. You function, but you don't even know how you're functioning. And it sort of feels out of body, like you're watching yourself going, how am I doing this? And, um, and you know, my, my thing is when I'm in pain or hurting, I'm highly alerted and awake. So I, I went into an insomnia mode. I couldn't sleep, which is devastating because the rest would have been so helpful. But no matter what, even with a sleep med, it just really, I couldn't get more than two hours of sleep. And my husband's mode is sleep. And right. so I would stare at him and I would say, how can you sleep? Like he just, he just, when he was, you know, exhausted from the, the stress and the strife and the grief of what that caused him and watching me, you know, he, he's my provider, my protector, and he's an amazing father. And so for him not to be able to protect us from that was really painful for him. He felt, you know, like, gosh, I can't can't even keep my baby safe and my wife safe and mm. and so his mode was to shut down emotionally he went to sleep and I would just stay awake and I would cry and eventually I found my way to a computer and uh, I started reaching out to the world out there of grief and reaching out to others who had gone through a stillbirth and that was my survival link that's how I yeah. got through this was starting to connect with other moms and dads who had been through this before me and they were able to be a guide to help me get through and uh, is actually how I got introduced to the five love languages. Well, too. and thank the Lord that you had that lifeline. Mm-hmm. And Gary, we're right up your alley now. This uh, issue of dealing with grief and how we do that as human beings. Um, what? 
how do we recognize that we're in that state? And then what are some things to cope? Well, I think anyone who's gone through the death of a, a stillborn baby or any death in a family for that matter, it's a loss. It's a tremendous loss. And I think uh, the natural response, first of all, is we cry. If That is, if we are emotional at all, we cry. And we cry and we cry and we cry. And, and that's good because it is releasing some of those painful emotions. And we know that grief, uh, we work through grief best when we talk about it. That is when we get to the place where we can talk, that we talk about it. And we, and we ask the questions that are in our minds, and those questions are in everybody's mind. And so we ask the questions, and let's face it, they're not always satisfactory answers that come to our mind when we say, why God, you know, why did this happen? Sure. But it's okay to ask the question. And it's okay to tell God how you're feeling, whether it's anger or hurt or disappointment or whatever. So I think we pour, our, as Christians, we pour our hearts out to God. And then we also pour our hearts out to members of the family, yeah. our immediate family, as well as our church family. And uh, in, in so doing, if people listen to us and, and just affirm us, you, you can't fix it. You know, right. If you're with the person, you, you can't fix it for them, but you can show empathy. You you can identify with them. You can acknowledge, you know, you can understand the pain and the yeah. hurt and all. And, and I think that's, uh, that's uh, the primary way is processing it by talking. And uh, it takes time. It, 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 it does not happen in two weeks or three weeks. And that's part of the problem is sometimes we, after six months or nine months, we say, you got to get over this now. Life's got to go on, you know. And 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 a family member, a husband and wife, you know, a husband can say that to a wife. You right. know, you got to get over this now. And uh, she wants to get over this, but the reality is, we don't ever get over this. Not when you lose a baby, uh, you don't ever get over it. But you do learn how to cope, and you learn how to go on, and you learn how to trust God even when you don't understand the why questions. Uh, this is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and our guests are Gary Chapman and Candy McVicker. They have. Uh, this book called Holding On to Love After You've Lost a Baby. And it's a wonderful application of the five love languages for uh, parents who are really struggling. We'll encourage you to call us, 800-A-FAMILY, uh, or go online to get your copy of the book at focusonthefamily.ca. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Are you passionate about optimizing websites that deliver value, perform well, and engage their audience? Can you lead a project from start to finish? Named one of the best Christian workplaces in Canada, Focus on the Family Canada is looking for a web development lead to join and manage our dynamic web development team in Langley, BC. If you or someone you know feels called to serve families while growing in their skills, explore current job openings today at focusonthefamily.ca employment. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. Many people believe the deception that money brings happiness. Although additional income can help, money in and of itself does not bring happiness. Since 1982, I've advised hundreds of people with significant wealth who are not happy. That is, they are not experiencing God's peace. They are worried, what if I lose my money, or where shall I invest my money? In Ecclesiastes 5.10, God warns, Whoever loves money never has money enough. In other words, money and material things will never truly satisfy. The only way to be happy and experience the peace of God which transcends all understanding, Philippians 4, 7, is through a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives. In summary, if you are not experiencing God's peace, I encourage you to develop a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Gary, let me ask you this. Uh, Again, I've said this in previous broadcasts we've done together. I mean, the Lord gave you a great insight into the five love languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just a spiritual uh, awakening for so many people. And it's wonderful um, when you as the author capture that. I I just think it's a brilliant moment where the Lord said, I want this information in people's hands, and he chose you to speak it through. That's an, an amazing experience. In that context, though, I'm thinking of the five love languages, and if you can restate them real quick. Um, in this moment of grief, like Candy in yeah. what she and Stephen went through, does it weaken that our, our love language? Or does it stress us in that area? So as you go through it, like give us the response of calamity like this when it comes to a person who likes physical touch yeah. or a person who likes words of affirmation. And how do we calculate, as a caregiver, as a family member, how do we calculate that person's love language when we're trying to soothe their grief? Yeah. Well, I think, for example, if you are the husband, you probably already know the wife's love language. Hopefully, you learned it earlier. (laughs) If you don't, you should have. (laughs) Not too late. Nothing like a little shame here. (laughs) But no, no, it's good. I mean, it's important. Uh, Jeans is uh, affirmation, by the way. Okay. And that's why it's so important to speak their love language during that time. If it's physical touch, then just putting your arms around them and let them cry on your shoulder or just sitting beside of them. But keep this in mind also, especially in intense grief in the early stages, they may even push you away. Even if physical touches their language, they say, please don't, honey. You know, Why is that happening? I, I think it's that's because, their core love language. I think it's because the grief is just so deep that at that particular moment, they, huh. they, they just they just want to be alone, as it were. You yeah. know, And so they push off sometimes people that are trying to help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that, I think as, as time goes on, after that initial, uh, those, those initial intense emotions, speaking their love language is extremely important to them. And if it's words of affirmation, just saying, honey, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, <laughs> and I'm going to love you no matter what happens. We're together in this thing, you know, just a, kind of affirming words to them. Yeah. If it's physical touch, yes, then, then physical touch and affirming touches to them are so important uh, during that time. Yeah. And we, we do know that this experience puts the pressure on a marriage uh, because uh, we don't always understand how the other person's responding. It puts pressure on the marriage. And so speaking each other's love language during this time is extremely important in meeting that deep emotional need to feel loved because when you feel loved, wherever you are, you know they're there for me. Right now, I just feel like everything in my whole life has been blown up. But in the back of my mind, you're, you're communicating love, and I know you're there for me. Yeah. You know? And so that's it, so important. Candy, bringing this closer to the relationship with your spouse, you and Stephen, mm-hmm. um, speak to those uh, important observations that you both need to be aware of. You spoke about sleep or lack thereof. That's one thing, a physical attribute. But what about the emotional uh, pain, and how do husbands and wives help each other in that regard? 
Well, for us, bringing the five love languages into our relationship in relation to the grief was really impactful. In fact, well, it was a game a changer. Yeah. yeah, well, we were rubbing each other raw. You know, in, you can do great in marriage when there's no strife or difficulty or trauma, right? And then all of a sudden you add that, whether it's the a death or, you know, something hard in transition, and all of a sudden you're, you don't have quite the amount of buffer there. And so what the love languages did is it brought back the buffer because we started to be more cognizant. I need to love you in a way maybe I haven't before, and it, it's going to reach your core. It's going to reach your soul better. And um, and so my husband's love language is physical touch, words of affirmation, I'm acts of service, quality time. And so when we knew that in light of our grief, you know, he started to say, um, you know, I'll take care of things around the home. And but he then honored Grace and what he did with me. Like, you know, he would he he would put out her picture or he would write oh. me a text or say, I'm thinking about our, our daughter today. And, and he would he would spend time with me, you know, emoting with me and sharing his heart with me. He would say, you know, is it OK that I I let down my guard and I grieve with you. He wanted to be strong for me. And I said, actually, I'm I'm very drawn to you and feel safer with you if you weep with me and if you show your emotions to me because I feel like then you're caring with me congruently. And so, um, you know, and then with me, just you're a great dad. Like I was watching him do the best he could to parent in what, in what ways we had. And, um, and I would, you know, just be more aware. I need to touch him more often. I'm not a t- as touchy feely. Uh, and so, hugger. yeah. And so I would, you know, walk by him in the kitchen and put my hand around his waist and, and he would go, Oh, I needed that today. You know, I just needed that touch. I put my hand on his knee or his, you know, and I would just say, we're getting through this together. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still thankful we have each other. And so it was really just about acknowledging I was reaching a, a place I hadn't reached necessarily before and relating it to our grief. And so that really was a, a very, very helpful. Yeah, and it's really important, something you said, and, and I think people need to catch this. It had to be a mindful thing mm-hmm. to say between you and Stephen, mm-hmm. we're going to do this this way. We're going to know the love languages. We're going to apply that. And you really, you do say that it saved your marriage. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. It is. And, you know, so we incorporated it into our support groups. And so whenever we have couples attending our group, we would say, okay, we want you guys to read this book. We're going to ask you all as an assignment to go home and take the the quiz, which is available at the Five Love Languages website. And you can go on there. It's all free. You can take every one of the quizzes and find out your love languages. And the link, you can look and see what your, you know, kind of guess what theirs is, but ask them to take it ideally. And then the profile will be emailed back to you. And, And it was so fun around the table because it brought this joy of you guys we tried this and it worked and and people would giggle about how how they were doing it wrong they're like i i just realized how i was missing the mark and now i kind of know and and so there was a lot of good marriage bantering of of like hey we're getting through this you guys this was really helpful so i saw it work and that's a big part of why this book is just i believe in it and i've had so much feedback there's so many people writing to us saying this has been so incredibly helpful i can't even tell you one woman told me she carries it around in her purse because after her baby died this year she said I, I open it up and I'm like what do I do again and how do I do this and and she just said this has been a lifeline thank yeah. you so much Candy um, we're right at the end here I mean the time has flown it by it goes by so fast but let me let me ask you to describe a bit of your ministry mm-hmm. uh, missing grace and what what are you trying to do specifically 
Well, our our ministry was based out of what we wished would have been available for us. So if it had been out there, I would have just gone there. And I, I did reach out to many nonprofits, and I wasn't finding what we needed. So it was apparent the Lord was saying, this is what you're going to do and how you're going to honor your daughter. And so we called it Missing Grace Foundation, Missing My Daughter. Um, but the, the name Grace, it stands for Grieve, Restore, Arise, Commemorate, and Educate. And so we're helping people get through their grief. We're helping them restore in their emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual health. We're helping them arise out of that dark place of grief. I really believe that God gives us joy for mourning and beauty for ashes and strength for fear. And, and we're really trying to help people have hope for that. We connect them with other people who are further down the road in their grief. Kind of that lifeline you mm-hmm. have. Yep. Yeah, and you know what? You can get there, and we're going to be there for yeah. you, whether it's on on the phone, online, or in person. Um, and then and then we're going to help them um, to commemorate. We really believe that if you honor your loved one, whatever that is, we all have different personalities of how we would have raised our kids. Also in grief, we have different ways we would honor our children. Yeah. Whether you start a foundation, or you fund a foundation, or you volunteer in an organization, or you create a beautiful memorial garden in your backyard or you go serve somebody in need there's so many ways to do something positive yeah. and then education i believe is the most important if there's something we can learn from our story and it can help someone else down the road that is key yeah. and and so we're, we're we have support groups we have baskets that we ship out to hospitals so that everything is there in a packet that is going to help them through what they're going through from hand and foot molding kits and the outfits and a memorial candle and books and um, Boy, resources. That sounds well thought through. It's really meant to be my now what, yeah. and that's what a lot of people have written to us. They said I didn't know what to do, but now I know what to do. Yeah, and we'll uh, hopefully connect we'll to your website there, yeah. and let Thank people you. link to you, uh, Gary. Let's end here because again, in the Christian community, it feels like we run from grief, not through grief, yeah. and there are lessons that are learned in that valley. So let me give you the last word, again, thinking of that listener, that viewer who might be going through a real tough time in their life for whatever reason, uh, but they're going through grief right now. You know, I think as you read the Bible, you see people going through grief. Read the book of Jeremiah. And read the book of Job. I mean, you see them going through grief, and God does not condemn them for going through grief. No. Uh, and we, we want to deny and just and say positive things that we think will make people feel better. But really, we just need to walk with them through the grief process and give yeah. them time to suffer and uh, and love them in a way that's meaningful to them, whatever, whatever that language is, uh, so that they know there's people out there that are not in my immediate family even who care about me. It's what the church is all about, is walking with people through trauma and grief. Well, and the thing that I've noticed when, and Focus tries to do this every day, and you know, the connections that are made with real people, people that are grateful that you were there in the gap with them and helping them. And that's what I'm sure you're experiencing, Candy. Uh, Gary and Candy, thank you so much uh, for sharing a very tough topic, but certainly this was filled, I hope, with uh, the sense of hope. And uh, I would love to get this into your hands, uh, this book, Holding On to Love After You've Lost a Baby. And uh, you can help hurting people. Think of it in that way. If you're not in that spot, uh, this book could help them find light again at the end of a very long, dark tunnel. Uh, Order your copy from Focus on the Family Canada today. And remember when you do, you're participating in ministry because everything goes back to help the effort of Focus Canada. So thank you 
for partnering with us in that way. Yes, and uh, please be generous with your support of Focus Canada as you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or you can donate and uh, get resources and help at focusonthefamily.ca. And when you get in touch, we'll be happy to connect you with one of our caring Christian counselors should you need to talk with someone and pray about whatever struggles you're facing right now. And we'd be happy to set up that uh, initial consultation for you when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.